Welcome to episode number 176 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and my guest co-host today is Dion Hinchcliffe. And Mr. Dion, how are you? I'm doing very well, Michael. Uh, glad it's Friday and looking forward to our very special guest today. Well, we have a very special guest. And Dion, why don't you introduce our special guest to our special audience? Absolutely. Uh, so I'd like to welcome to CXO Talk um, the uh, Chief Technology Officer of one of America's most iconic brands, Harley-Davidson, who has been kind enough to join us today uh, to talk about that very exciting topic, um, the intersection of the automotive industry, the transportation industry, and technology. So uh, welcome, Sean. Glad to have you with us. Thank you, guys. Happy Friday. Hey, Sean. Yeah, it's great. Harley-Davidson Harley is one of those brands that everybody has heard of, but we also wonder, well, you're Chief Technology Officer, and so tell us about yourself and tell us about Harley, and why does Harley-Davidson have a Chief Technology Officer? Sure. Um, so, Sean McCormack, I, uh, brief history myself, I actually started my career in military intelligence through a random series of events, ended up in startups and did a lot of different startups across multiple industries. So automotive, education, electronic voting, a lot of different areas. Eventually moved into the Fortune 500 world. So I worked for Miller Brewing and then what became Miller Coors. Uh, Manpower Group, which is a $22 billion recruiting firm. And then eventually came to Harley-Davidson. Um, so Harley-Davidson, pretty amazing company. And there's a lot more going on than I even realized uh, before I joined the company. If you look at it, I think everybody knows we're the, the leader in you know, the heavyweight motorcycle segment, but we actually have a lot of other businesses too that we're in. Uh, so if you look at retail, we've got you know, motor clothes, which I'm wearing right now. We've got uh, the finance space. So we have Harley-Davidson Financial Services. We've got Harley-Davidson Dealer Systems, which is essentially a software company. We're in the event space, so we have events across the globe, you know, half a million people plus. We do renting and tours. We have our own museum. Uh, so if you ever come to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, come visit the Harley-Davidson Museum. It's, a, it's an amazing experience. Uh, it's a lot of different industries that we're in. As far as why we, they need a chief technology officer, pretty much any of those have technology behind them. And so my focus is really on just making sure the company runs, both looking at the current technologies that are in place and supporting the business functions, but then also what do we need in the future to enable the business. Yeah, now that... Um... That's quite a list of things to do, and I'm sure that uh, Harley, as a, as a brand, it's kind of hard to, to to wrap your arms around all the things that uh, that you guys do. Uh, so maybe you can highlight a few of the things that uh, Harley's, a few of the big things that Harley is focused on uh, as a business these days. Sure. Um, so I think one of the biggest things is really just customer outreach. If you look at, I think the standard perception of Harley Davidson, the view is that the customer is somebody that looks like me, um, and that's partially true, except they're much cooler looking than me. Uh, but you have a lot of people that do do kind of fit the profile of me as an individual, but we have tons of customers across a lot of different segments. And so if you look at, you know, young adults, if you look at women, if you look at different uh, ethnic groups, we're actually the leader in all those segments too. And we have been year over year. So one of the big challenges is how do we just get that story out to people and get them to understand that we have products and experiences that are relevant to them. Uh, so that's one big focus. We're doing a lot in that space. Uh, another one is... And, and how do you, if you mind, don't mind me asking... Now, how do you use technology uh, to do the customer outreach piece? How is, how is that intersection between uh, the function that you guys, that you do and your part of the organization and engaging with the, with the customers and the market as a whole? Sure. Um, so I think just, just like most companies, we've got 
and all the social capabilities in place. We've got a really good media presence and media engine. Um, if you go to our website, there's tons of information on there that we're constantly getting out, video campaigns, uh, mobile applications. So there's a lot that we do in the, in the social media, marketing, sales space to try to get that message out. Um, and we do some pretty cool stuff. A good example is we have something called uh, Harlistas. So if you ever heard of Anthony Pettis, UFC champion, we do a lot to try to celebrate the Latino community and what they're doing with writing. Uh, we have something called Iron Elite, which is where we try to celebrate the African-American writing community. We do some really cool stuff with women, uh, things like garage parties, which is where you try to bring women into the dealership and let them learn in a safe environment uh, how the motorcycle works and what the different parts and accessories are in the gear. So there's a lot of cool stuff that we do just trying to reach out to those different communities. And so, Sean, what is your role? So, or, or, or as Diane was saying, the role of technology in these various businesses? I mean, just pick one. You, you were talking about customer outreach. So how do right. you work with other parts of the business to bring technology and innovation to that? Sure. Um, so I'll give you an example. So we, another big thing that we're focused on right now is global demand. Um, the more we go into the world and, and we put our uh, products out there, we're seeing a lot of markets open up. And we have about 35% of our revenue right now that comes from outside of the United States. So as we do that, we're doing more and more of a global presence. Uh, we have dealerships, 1,400 plus dealerships throughout the world. Uh, we've got 14 facilities throughout the world. All of those are, are running based off of technology. We've got the manufacturing plants, heavy technology component there. Uh, we talked about sales and marketing, corporate finance, um, product development, I mean, all the areas that you can think of within the business require technology in some aspect, and we're working with, with those different areas. No, exactly. And so, uh, so in terms of, you know, you have probably one of the most interesting CTO jobs out there. You know, yeah. hardly, uh, you know, you guys have all these tremendous vehicles. Um, and I know that, that your future plans must be dramatic, you know, amazing in terms of the technology you're going to be bringing to bear. Uh, but I, I was curious so, about the story about how did you end up a CTO of, uh, of a Harley of all, of all places? Yeah. So funny story, I actually was living in Austin, Texas at the time, and I've moved 30 plus times in my life. We'd been there for about a year and I got contacted by an executive recruiter through LinkedIn, which almost never happens. And they said, hey, we have this role at Harley Davidson. Think you'd be a good fit. Are you interested? And because we just moved there, I actually wasn't interested, completely ignored it, did nothing with it. And about three weeks later... I was sitting at the dinner table with my wife and I said, oh, you know, funny story, Harley Davidson reached out to me. They were interested in me as a potential CTO. And she said, well, did you respond? No. And I got ordered right there at the dinner table, go upstairs, get on the computer, respond to them, tell them that you're interested. Uh, so I went ahead and did that and then ended up working out really well. So what are the uh, kind of, or are there common technology threads that you are dealing with across Harley? Sure. Uh, so we, I've got a couple of different areas that I focus on. One is the overall technology strategy for the company. And so that's looking at what are the current trends, emerging trends, and what do we need to do to, to bring those in. Um, I've got the architectural space, in the innovation space. So we do a lot with innovation. Uh, global operations, so that's important. All those facilities and dealerships and everything uh, that we talked about. Um, one example is the manufacturing plants. Uh, so I've actually got all the domestic manufacturing plants, and we have some really amazing technologies that are that are powering those plans yeah so the uh innovation is really the hot topic i think one of the challenges we have uh is uh is you know in terms of developing strategy for organizations you know the common uh phrase that everyone's using now is uh that culture eats strategy for lunch right, right. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your innovation processes? Are you are you doing things like hackathons? Uh, do you have incubators? You know, what can you talk about in terms of how is Harley taking the latest innovative ideas and, and making them reality? Sure. Um, so I'll talk about kind of three different areas. First one is product development. So that's not something I'm directly involved in, but if you look at product development, uh, we have some great innovations taking place there. So if you ever heard of Livewire, which is the electric uh, bike concept that we put out in the market, and it was actually in the Avengers movie. Um, so some really good innovations taking place within the product space. If you look at the manufacturing space, we did a massive transition, uh, I think probably about five years ago, where we took our, our current manufacturing processes and moved them over to lean manufacturing. And one of our facilities, York, went from 42 square, uh, 42 different buildings down to one building. And we were able to put in just some really good things where we could build any bike on any line based off of customer demands, uh, lean manufacturing, real-time integration with our suppliers, the ability to do surges. So based off of seasonal demands, the ability to move production up and down. So we've got some good stuff in the manufacturing space. Um, if you look specific to IT, we went through a transformation that's probably three, four years ago. And one of the big things we were interested in was how can we just bring more innovation into the company, especially from a technology space. Uh, we actually created a dedicated innovation team, which I think is fairly rare uh, in, in the market. And they've been able to do some amazing things. We have that innovation team. Uh, as part of them, we set up something called a digital innovation council. And we have representation from all the major business units that are involved in that digital innovation council. They're able to bring ideas in on pretty much anything they want to pursue and we'll work with them to do a, a proof of concept and eventually a pilot. And then if there's a value in that technology, then we work with them for them to sponsor it and actually take it to production. Today, we've got about a 30% conversion rate, which for the industry is really good. And we've had some um, leading analyst firms come in, benchmark us, and give us feedback that it's one of the best corporate innovation programs they've seen. Uh, I'll give you a, an example of something we've done. So we had a, if you look at the retail space, I mentioned that that's something we do a lot in. One of the questions was, how can we make the retail space much more engaging so that when people come in, it's more personalized, they can get access to better information. So we did something called a pop-up shop. One of the focuses we have is how can we get the retail experience out into the urban areas a lot more so that people have access to these dealerships and things that may not otherwise be close to them. How can we get closer to events that are happening? So we put together a pop-up shop, and the concept is you basically have this mobile retail experience that comes in, you throw it up within 48 hours, when you walk in, it's got RFIDs, so I can look at a product, put it on a smart table, and the smart table will give me information on that product. Um, we had some stuff with cameras, so on the outside, people get, could get pictures of themselves sitting on a motorcycle, and then that camera would send information to them and encourage them to come into the mobile retail experience. We had a 360 dome, which was probably my favorite part. It's a 360 dome, so it's not virtual reality. It's not augmented reality. It's a true 360 experience that you could go in with your friends. There's a motorcycle in there, and you're able to see just some very picturesque rides that take place, but you're able to do it without a bunch of goggles and other stuff. You're able to sit there with your friends and experience it. So pretty pretty neat thing uh, that we did. Got some some really good feedback from everybody that was engaged in it. I want to uh, tell everybody that's listening that we're talking with Sean McCormick, who is the chief technology officer of Harley-Davidson. And right now there is a tweet chat going on on Twitter, of course, with the hashtag CXO talk. And you can send your questions in to Sean for to get them answered. So, Sean, it sounds like 
product innovation is a very important part of the underlying culture at Harley-Davidson. Yeah, very much so. Um, so you see both in the product development space where they have, you know, as we talked about, some really good things going on. We have it in the technology space and we try to do a lot to foster that. So a good example is we have something called innovation challenges. And if you can think of Shark Tank, it's kind of a internal Shark Tank where we'll put a challenge out there, have a bunch of people submit their ideas. Then we pare it down to a couple of key ideas. Those people actually come and do a pitch in front of a live audience and we have judges and then the top idea that's selected actually goes into our innovation team and they bring that um, all the way to pilot. And we've done that with our young professionals within the organization. We've done it with different functions and just gotten some amazing results. To me, the coolest thing is you see people that, you know, have these amazing ideas, but normally don't have a channel to bring those out. And you'll have someone in the sales organization or the service organization or finance, and they bring forward just some great ideas that aren't, aren't just cool technology ideas, but they're, they're impressive business ideas. And, and so, uh, you know, that, that's a great story. Um, so, Sean, uh, in terms of, you know, we normally think about uh, in the CTO world, we, we kind of think about uh, uh, the data center and all the technology that's in the back office. Yep. But you also have um, uh, all the ways that technology is helping with the manufacturing process. Right. Uh, so I understand you have some advanced manufacturing uh, systems, uh, you have some mobile advances, uh, Internet of Things. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I talked about the just the advancement that, that we made with manufacturing execution in general and the ability to bring in lean manufacturing and search capabilities, all that. Uh, we have a continue, continuous improvement system in place. So we have real-time dashboards where we're able to get information immediately on how the plant's performing. I can actually pull it up on my cell phone and, and see here in Milwaukee how the York plant is performing. So some neat things there. We've also looked at mobile technologies. So today on the line, you have a lot of people that are, are dealing with high pressure situations, a lot of stuff coming through. How can we make it easier to where if something occurs, they don't have to walk to a, another computer or walk over to a different desk? Can we do mobile communications and, and mobile transactions? Um, so we've done some good things there. We actually had our CEO, Matt Levitich, talk at the Smart Manufacturing Summit not too long ago, and he was able to highlight some of the new things we're doing in the manufacturing space. Um, another good example is you mentioned IoT. So with IoT, we're just stepping into that, um, but a lot of the focus today is on sensors and how can we put sensors into the plant that are going to give us information on things like energy. So are we, are we consuming energy the right way? Are there ways to, to not run machines when we don't need to? Is there a way to do predictive maintenance where we can look at machines and rather than having to invest a bunch of time and money to go constantly inspect these machines, have a better idea, is this going to break and when, and try to focus on that? Uh, we're trying to do things around quality. So how can we do better quality inspection? Is there a way to pair the manual inspection with a more automated fashion so that, you know, these smart machines can very quickly pick out if there's an issue or not. Uh, so we have, we have a lot of different things that we're, we're looking at and trying to bring to the manufacturing space. I was at a conference uh, this week in Paris of all places. Huh? Boy, I just have to say yesterday I was in Paris and I got invited to a cooking class and I learned how to make French macarons, meringue cookies. All right. So I was doing that yesterday, but, yeah. but, but man, I am loyal to CXO talk and I'm back here now. Anyway. So at this conference, uh, Harley Davidson was brought up as an example of a world-class, really advanced world-class manufacturing 
organization. So maybe tell us, tell us a little more about the manufacturing and, and that as a focal point and why is that so important for Harley? Yeah, so so if you look at if you look at our products, I mean we have the best some of the best quality products in the world. We have the most amazing motorcycles in the world. And so the the focus that we have within the manufacturing space is how can we constantly improve that? So a lot of things that I talked about, you know, being able to deal with seasonal demand. If our customers, you know, want certain bikes, how can we get them down the line as quickly as possible with the best quality as possible? Um, so there, there's a constant focus on manufacturing. How can we improve safety? One of the the neat things that we did, you know, with the lean and the continuous improvement environment is we actually drove safety issues down over 91% in some of our plants. Um, so it's a really big focus across the entire organization. Obviously, that's the, the heartbeat of Harley-Davidson. Yeah, so you know, with all these manufacturing uh, capabilities and you've got all these technologies you're trying to, to bring in, how are you going about the process of ensuring that you're, you're connected to the business, that you're really enabling uh, Harley's mission to, to create a, you know, a tremendous riding experience? Um, that's still one of the longest-standing uh, challenges in information technology is just that yep. yeah, we connect the tech to the business. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, very much so. Um, I think we've had kind of three things that we've done. One is around technology modernization. We have probably the most massive and impressive effort I've ever seen at a, at a company in modernizing our technologies. And a lot of that was done because we knew the business needed it, both for things that are there today and things that are coming. That is is bearing a lot of fruit because the business functions start to see, wow, you know, technology really can be an enabler instead of something that hurts us. So that's been a big gain and that's given us, I think, some good press. Second one is around business enablement. So we have uh, business relation managers. They're embedded with all of the business functions, constantly looking at strategies. What do they have coming up? Uh, what are the things that we can do to support them? Everything from analytics to integration to mobile enablement, you know, a lot of capabilities. And then the third one is, is the innovation space. I think the innovation space has done a lot to really just improve the integration because it's one of the few forums where we have not just one business function, but multiple business functions coming together and talking and they're seeing that, Hey, we're doing something in, in, you know, the retail space that may also benefit us in the event space. Um, part of what the innovation charter is, is we're trying to get ahead of what the business demands are and go test these technologies so that when the demand comes, we've taken something and proven it and we can take it off the shelf and say, Hey, here you go. And that's really, I think started to change the dialogue within the company where they realize it's not them pulling us to have the latest and greatest or enable them or rather it's us coming to them saying, hey, we found something that we think can help you. So when you are thinking about innovation and think, thinking about doing things differently, improving things, uh, getting back to, to Diane's comment earlier, how are, how are you linking it back to the ultimate reference point, which is a better and safer riding experience for the people who buy your motorcycles? Um, so that's, I mean, that's embedded in the company. Everything that we do focuses on quality and safety. So that's just, that's absolutely critical to any technology that we put out there, any experience that we put out there. So it's just, so it's essential. I shouldn't say just, so essentially, uh, quality and safety are embedded in the DNA and, and it's sort of like imbued in everything that, that you're doing. Absolutely. And, I, and that comes from the top down. Um, so you look at, Every initiative that we have, every focus that we have, quality and safety are absolutely paramount. Those are non-negotiables. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so Sean, how how do you maintain that culture? Right. So you know, we see this the 
the, the, a lot of these ideas like lean and agile and you know, DevOps is another big popular topic that's kind of trying to create a more collaborative culture inside the technology groups uh, and connect it to the business. Um, those are hard to uh, hard to instill and maintain their their their, their pure spirit, uh, uh, so that you get the the, the that. How how are you? I mean, uh, what do you guys do in terms of trying to make sure that that you don't lose that? Um, so I I love bringing in people from the outside because I think it's very easy to become somewhat stagnant. You develop develop a culture and, and one way of viewing things. We do a lot with, for example, the startup world and incubators and uh, the West Coast to look at. How are they operating? What best practices are they bringing in? Um, a lot of the key vendors that we work with, what are they doing that's making their development cycles and their delivery much better? Um, and so we go pressure test that, and then we look at how can we infuse it. And it could be infusion through you know, a very large program, or it could be infusion through just having some quick wins where people start to see the value, and then they actually want to pull that in. So... It sounds easy on on one level, you know, it's in, this innovation is embedded in your culture, but what are some of the challenges or the obstacles that you face when you try to have this kind of culture of continuous innovation? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think one key challenge is just what the definition is of innovation and where it should be focused. Um, and this is actually one of the debates we had a lot, I think, in the early days of, of establishing our innovation team. We segment innovation in kind of three key areas. So one is tactical. So this is where I'm just making, you know, small operational improvements. There's strategic. So we have business strategies and how do we accelerate those? And then there's disruptive where we're looking at potentially new business models and new business opportunities. Depending on who you talk to, everyone has a different perspective of which of those you should be doing and how much you should focus on them. Um, in our case, we actually came up with percentages. But it, it was a lot of debate to get everyone to agree that, hey, you know, we shouldn't be purely disruptive or we shouldn't be purely tactical. I think that's one challenge. Uh, I'd say another big challenge is really just around speed and risk. If you look at trying to just prove out a concept, you want to move very quickly because if that concept doesn't work, you want to be able to walk away from it and not make a lot of investment. Traditional delivery cycles are the exact opposite. They're focused on how do you minimize as much risk as possible how do you look at long-term sustainment? So once I put this in, how do I keep it supported? Oftentimes those two views come into conflict. And so you have a lot of challenges on how do you modify your risk profiles? How do you modify your delivery cycles? How do you modify expectations when you're doing innovation on one end? And then if that's successful, kind of swing the pendulum to the other side where now you have covered the, the risk and you have covered the long-term operational sustainment. So that's a, another challenge we see a lot. When you yes. talk, oh, please, Dion. Uh, oh, no, 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 absolutely. No, Dion, I insist, I insist. <laughs> right. Thanks, Michael. Um, so let's talk about um, the sources of product innovation. Um, are you, do you have a, basically a steady source, a, a well-proven model, and you don't change it around very much? Or you know, from a technology and product development and, man and manufacturing standpoint, uh, you said you, br you bring in other folks, and that sounds like outside experts and maybe startups. But you know, how, how do you manage that mix? Yeah, so I think I think we try to do both. When you, if you look at our innovation process, the technology one that we set up, we actually relied heavily on the uh, product development innovation process. So they had a really good innovation process that was already established. We spent a lot of time with them understanding that, and then how to morph that for our specific needs. Um, so I think we had a fairly proven methodology that we're able to adopt and we really haven't had to tweak much at all. Uh, I talked about how internally we have some really good ideas that are generated 
both through the innovation challenges, the digital innovation council and through other avenues. But then we also do a lot just to go out and see what's happening. So we'll be at different conferences where, for example, startups are launching, we're doing a lot with analyst firms, doing a lot with uh, West Coast, East Coast, a lot of the vendors that we work with and we have strong relationships with, just looking at their innovation labs, what are the capabilities they're developing. So we have a lot of channels both internally and externally to get that information. We have a question from on Twitter from the Twitter name Forvalaka41. Okay. And he or she or it, since I don't know uh, the person's name, is wondering, are, how, how are you looking at trends like 3D printing? And I'm assuming you're not going to tell us detail about uh, Harvey's up, Harley's upcoming plan. So just in general. No. Uh, yeah. yeah, so just in general. So 3D printing, I, I personally find fascinating. Um, and you're seeing 3D printing start to emerge in a lot of different areas that I don't think anyone ever expected. You're seeing 3D printed houses. You're seeing 3D printed buildings where people are actually doing concrete. Uh, there's food. I think one of the more fascinating areas is around uh, human components. So being able to do cartilage and skin, a lot of things. Um, obviously, from an ind- industrial perspective, tons of value. Uh, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that NASA has 3D printed parts that they're now starting to use within their, their rocket ships. There was a big news item not too long ago where they were able to produce parts on demand in space uh, through, through 3D printing technologies. So I think the, the possibilities are endless. The biggest challenge that I see right now is two-part. One, speed. And I know the industry is working on this a lot, but the, the challenge to take something that would normally be created and do it in a much faster manner, 3D printing, from what I've seen, isn't there yet. Uh, the, the current manufacturing processes, in a lot of cases, are still faster than, than you can do with 3D printing. I think the other big challenge is around materials. So when you're dealing with single-purpose materials, not as difficult, but when you start dealing with composite materials and things that require a lot of materials to come together uh, to do something, uh, I think there's still a lot of challenges there. So amazing space, follow it a lot, um, but still emerging. Yeah, so well, I, what I find, uh, uh, sorry, Michael, um, what I find so interesting about the, the 3D printing is that it's not just what it makes possible, but but how it can change uh, your, your supply chain. The, the, yep. you know, the point of manufacturing is, could even be in someone's home. They could build most of the parts, and those who you know, are very DIY can assemble their own vehicle, right? So you could yeah. have a Harley Davidson 3D printer, and, and so it changes what's possible um, and moves everything around. And so I think that you know, uh, I think organizations like yours will have a real challenge, um, not just in rolling out the technology, but how it's going to reshape you know, your organization potentially. Yeah, yeah, I think the possibilities are endless. So it'll be fascinating to see where where that industry goes. As you look at advanced technologies such as 3D printing, just as an example, what at what point do you decide that a, a technology is becomes uh, more practical than being merely experimental? So I'm, I'm sure a lot of a lot of the viewers have seen the adoption curve. That's something that we try to pay attention to a lot. Is where is something within an adoption curve? I think for us, the first thing we want to do is just prove out the concept. So we do a POC. Does it even make sense specific to us? Then we do a pilot where that's where we start actually interacting with customers or dealers or other people that can tangibly use it and give us feedback. We think there's value, but do they think there's value? If at that point the answer is yes to both of those, then we start to say, you know what, there's really something here. And we start looking at how can we adopt it within the business? Um, If something just doesn't have value yet, but we think potentially long-term. So it could be a technology that we think has value, but hasn't really reached that 
level of maturity yet. We'll put a, um, what we call the shelf. We put it on the shelf and we'll come back and visit it a year or two years from now to see has the, the it may be a really good concept, has the technology matured to the point where we would be comfortable integrating it. Yeah, so, so uh, another interesting uh, topic uh, in terms of technology trends uh, is uh, autonomous vehicles. Uh, yep. I know you can't talk specifically about what you guys are thinking about it, but it seems to me that would be a very, very challenging space for, the, the, for motorcycles in, in particular. I was wondering if you could kind of share your thoughts about how autonomous vehicles might affect your industry. Yeah, so autonomous vehicles is something else that I'm just fascinated by. I think it's coming much faster than the average consumer realizes. If you look at um, most predictions, 2025 is where the belief is that most manufacturers will have autonomous vehicles on the road. Um, if you look at, for example, Tesla, Tesla's accelerating that much faster. They've got the autopilot capability that they've already rolled out. It's not truly autonomous, but it's a very big first step. And you're seeing Google and Apple, uh, Ford, a lot of other companies make announcements in that space. I think the, the implications are going to be fascinating. You know, one, one example is when an accident occurs, who's guilty? Uh, so is it the car that was created? Is it the software that was running it? Or is it the rider that was sitting behind the, the steering wheel? Um, so you're going to run into a lot of kind of legislative and legal questions. Uh, it's going to start to change. How do you deal with insurance? So are you insuring the software? Are you insuring the driver? Um, I think you're going to see some fascinating business models. You've seen uh, the Uber CEO talk about how his long-term goal is to have fully autonomous fleets. And I think the potential is, I look at, you know, I was talking to my daughter about DVDs and she has no concept of DVDs, CDs. That's not something she grew up with. To her, music is Apple Music. It's subscription on demand. DVDs is Netflix. I think there's a potential. I don't think the entire automotive industry will go away, but I do think there's a potential for a lot of subscription-based services where now I don't necessarily need to buy a car. I can sign up for a subscription, and if I want to go to work, I do a ride share. If I want to take somebody out on a date, I'm in a Ferrari. Uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of ways that could go. So it's a fascinating space. I'll, very fast moving and a lot of things happening quicker than I think the average consumer realizes. The business model implications of what you're talking about for a company like Harley are potentially profound. How much time, effort do you, do you as a company put into thinking about these, these future business models for realities that may be completely different from today in, in picking yeah. up 10, 10 years? Yeah, so I think if you look at any emerging trend, we absolutely look at it. And, and try to understand what are the, the implications. Um, it, it wouldn't be good business if we weren't paying attention to those trends. So we look at everything and try to figure out what the right strategies are based off of that. What about, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say, what about AI and machine learning? Uh, does that come into play at all? Yeah, um, I think AI is pretty fascinating, especially for just, just being able to help workers out. So a simple example is if you look at Amazon Echo, to me, that's a pretty fascinating product. Amazon Echo is, it's kind of this little tube that you buy and you can put in your house and you can start having conversations with it. You can tell it to order pizzas and, you know, play music for you. If you look at the founders of Siri, they actually have a product that's coming out, which is their uh, vision of what Siri, you know, could have been or, or should have been. You see a lot of investments taking place by Microsoft and Apple and their AI technologies. I think that's going to be a really interesting space because the potential is to, to make life much easier for the average person and reduce a lot of the uh, various tasks that we have to do that, that I think can be distracting. So I think it'd be fascinating to see just for the consumer, how that helps. 
and then I do think there are going to be, you know, some, some fascinating use cases for businesses also. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I think that's a, is one of the most exciting parts of our industry right now yeah. is trying to figure out how AI gets added to almost everything that we do, right? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, things like augmented and uh, virtual reality just briefly when we were talking about uh, your, your pop-up shops, which I thought was a, was a fantastic um, concept in and of itself. But it sounds like that, that experience could be extended to these, these, kind of, these new user experiences, new user interface technologies. Yeah. Uh, how do you think they're going to affect uh, the motorcycle industry? So I think, so AR and VR, so it's interesting because virtual reality is something that I worked on, I want to say, almost 15 years ago. And the thought at the time was virtual reality was going to take off. It was going to be, you know, completely change the world. I have yet to see that happen. Um, doesn't mean it won't, but I think, I think virtual reality is probably not as powerful as augmented reality. Um, so for those that don't know the difference, virtual reality is where you're putting a set of goggles on and you're immersed in a totally different world. I think there's a lot of value and benefit uh, probably in the consumer entertainment space. I think that's where it's definitely going to take off. Beyond that, I'm still uh, curious to see what the, what the benefits and the use cases are. Augmented reality, which is where I have a current world, and then I'm putting something to add to that world in front of me. And a good example is Microsoft HoloLens. So HoloLens is just a set of glasses, or Google Glass. You can think of Google Glass, even though it wasn't true AR. Um, but HoloLens, for example, I could take this room in front of me, I put these goggles on, and then all of a sudden I can introduce virtual objects and station them within the room. So I could have a imaginary dog, and every time I walk in the room, this imaginary dog comes up and greets me. I think AR has um, some very, very interesting implications across a ton of industries. Um, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, if you're in your house and you have a washing machine, being able to just hold up an iPad, and that washing machine all of a sudden displays information to you that you can't see in the real world. I think there's probably a lot more implications and a lot more um, benefits that may come faster with AR than, than with virtual reality. And do you have uh, skunk works or innovation pathways or something to look at the implication for technologies such as these on motorcycle riding? Sure. So we, as we talked about, we have the, you know, the innovation group and the digital innovation council. So any idea that comes up, any emerging technology or trend that someone sees, they're more than welcome to bring that into the pipeline and then we'll run it through the, the standard innovation process. I was uh, talking to a, a razor blade uh, manufacturer executive, uh, senior executive, and he, yeah. he told me that every day when they go in, they try the next, the current crop of razors from that day's R&D batch in the, in the lab. And I got to believe you guys have some amazing concept bikes. Do they let you guys drive those things every day or? or... <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> that's a that's a very special group <laughs> so what are some of the uh what are some of the advice that you might have for people inside organizations like harley that are in the midst of dramatic change i mean i know you spend a lot of time thinking about how to manage the the changes that are taking place inside the the motorcycle industry yeah uh, so i think one just pay attention to what's happening it's very easy for people or corporations to focus on what's in front of them and not really understand the, the broader trends and what's happening in the outside world. So I think, first of all, you just have to pay attention. I think, secondly, just being very clear on who you are as a company. And in the case of Harley-Davidson, we have a very clear purpose, fulfilling dreams of personal freedom. And everything that we do tries to go through that filter. So be very clear on what your purpose is and then be very clear on, based off of that purpose, where do you want to go? The risk is if you don't do that, 
you can see all these things happen in the world and try to react to them. And you end up having a, a very fragmented and kind of scattered um, approach to the market and, and the consumers ultimately see that. So, so that is the underlying theme then that, that cuts across all of the different businesses that Harley is in, which is really quite a lot. Yep. Yep. So every, I mean, it's a mantra that everybody in the company knows. We have very clear brand attributes that we align everything to. And I think that that makes it very simple to, to make decisions on, is this aligned with our strategy? Is this something we should be pursuing or not? Yep. And, and so, uh, you know, as we get towards the end of the show here, um, you know, one of the hottest topics in the industry right now, uh, at least uh, the phrase is digital transformation, right? Making your yep. business into more of a technology company, into a digital business that, thinks and acts like a digital leader in the, in the technology industry would. Uh, is that something that you guys think about? Uh, are, are, do you have, a, do you have a, a separate effort for that? Or do you look at that as something you can kind of roll into everything that you do? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of buzz around digital. And I think depending on who you talk to, they have very different opinions. For us, digital very simply is, is taking the physical world and the virtual world and making sure that those uh, connect in, in the right way so that you're not sending confusing signals to people depend on how they interact with the company. Um, so we obviously pay attention to what's happening in the industry. There's very specific things that we think that means for us that we're pursuing. So it's, so for you, you spend a lot of, uh, a lot of time thinking about the clarity of what you're doing. And so what the consumer experiences online is not in conflict in any way with what they experience in your stores or with your bikes. Sounds like that's a key point for you. Yeah, so I think the ultimate goal, I mean, if you look at the the Harley followership, it's absolutely amazing. I don't think there's any other brain in the world where people actually tattoo, you know, the, the corporate logo on their body. We have just amazing followers mm-hmm. and very loyal customers. So it's paramount for us that we make that experience as seamless as possible. Doesn't mean we always nail it, but that's something that we're very heavily focused on. And as, as we continue to move forward, uh, it's at the forefront of everything that we do. How do we make that customer experience as amazing as possible? Now, one word I haven't heard you say, um, although I may have missed it, uh, is the word cloud. Uh, how, what do you think about that, and, and how does that you know, play a role in, in the way that you think about uh, technology enablement uh, at Harley? Yeah, uh, so, so cloud kind of cracks me up, to be honest. If you look at, at cloud, uh, and I mean, you can get into all the technical discussions, but it's other people's data centers. Um, and that's what people have been doing for forever. It's just that there's newer ways to approach it and, and different marketing techniques. Um, we obviously have vendors that we work with. We, we run systems within our own data centers and other data centers. Um, so cloud is something that, that we openly embrace, uh, have no uh, concerns with as long as it doesn't violate uh, security or legal or anything else that we care about as a company. So you don't, you're, you're not part of the cult of cloud. I mean, one hears people talk about the cloud and make claims that, that the cloud will pretty much save all of us save it. The cloud will save the world. And so yeah. you, don't, you don't see it that uh, way. Cloud saves the world until the cloud goes down. Uh, so I think there's, there's absolute benefits in it. And you can do some really neat things. And you've seen companies like Netflix and a lot of others really embrace the power of the cloud. Uh, I fully believe in it. But I also think it has a place just like everything else. There's things that are cloud appropriate. And there's things that you still want to maintain internally so that your business isn't disrupted. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, you're a, a, um, Harley's a design company. 
company renowned for the design of its, its vehicles. And, and we've seen the technology space design is, is getting more and more important. Apple kind of virtually proved that great yeah. design could change the world, right? In the technology space. And we see a lot of companies uh, using phrases like design thinking, you know, trying to have more of a contextual solution to, the, to, to applying technology to problems. Uh, how do you guys think about design, uh, given that you're, you're, you're so well known for design on the, on the product side, uh, how about yeah. the technology side? Yeah, so on the product side, you know, we focus very heavily on voice of the customer. And if you look at design thinking and any other methodology out there, the most important thing is talking to the customer and seeing what do they want and then trying to bake that into the product. Fairly simple, and you can build a lot of methodologies around that. To me, it's no different in the technology space. Uh, really understand what is the voice of the customer, what are they looking for, and then how do we quickly get there, put it in their hands, and allow them to give us uh, continual feedback on that. So your, so your reference point then for all of these methodologies, design thinking, um, agile, although I'm yeah. not sure that you use agile. Um, it's all about bringing in the voice of the customer and making sure that you're listening to the customer. Yeah, I, I think you're, you, can, you can do okay, but you'll run into a lot of trouble the further you get away from the customer. And, and so the closer you can stay to the customer, like we do with our motorcycles, to me, it's no different in technology. Got to stay close to them, understand what they need, try to get into their hands quickly, validate the feedback. Uh, to me, that's paramount to being successful. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if they're getting uh, meeting customer needs is a real challenge when uh, you're a global company. Um, yep. you, are you finding that, that, that technology requirements, technology needs vary widely uh, as you go into other geographies? Uh, uh, and, and how do you manage that mix? Uh, so I'd say... Yeah, and, it, and it's more contextual. So if you look at APAC, for example, Asia Pacific, very heavy, very heavy mobile focus, um, much more so than you may find in, uh, for example, EMEA. Um, so you definitely have to look at the what are the local flavors and how do people interact with the products, how they want to interact with the brand, and then try to tailor something that, one, is still consistent to the brand across the globe, but also meets the local needs and, and the desires of, of the people within that area. Yeah, I have to imagine that uh, really complicates uh, the job, though. So you have to kind of do the, the same thing over and over again uh, from the technology planning and, and development perspective for each one of those regions, right? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a problem that every company faces. You know, how do you have brand consistency and standards and, and a, an experience that doesn't vary too much across the globe, but also make it relevant to the person in that specific geography? So right. as, you're, as you're designing technology, uh, to what extent or how how are you thinking about that impact on the customer and the brand experience? I think that's a, a really fascinating question. Yeah. Um, so I think just like we talked about before, you have to understand what is that experience that you want. And then as much as possible, try to make that consistent based off of every, every interaction that takes place. So if you look at when people engage with a brand, there's multiple ways they can do it. It can be an event. It can be a website. It can be a mobile app. It can be walking into a retail location. How do you really try to look at all of those and make sure that in every way that you present yourself to the customer, you're providing things that are still a value, things that are connected and um, things that matter to the customer and you're not confusing them. Um, and so that's, I mean, it's a challenge every brand faces, but it's one that we're very passionate about. Well, like you said, you're one of the few brands in the world where people love you so much that they will tattoo your brand on sure. their body. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. I haven't done that yet, but but a lot of people <laughs> people are already there. They love it. We're we're almost out of time. Diane, do you want to 
do you want to have the last word here? Yeah, sure. So uh, um, you, you had to have seen many amazing things inside of Harley in your in your years of, of working there. Um, what is one of you know? Get get a pick one. What's one of the coolest experiences you've had at the company? Coolest experience. Um, that's a good one. So I'd say probably the uh, we had our 110th anniversary a couple of years ago, and first of all, it's pretty cool to be part of a company that even has 110th anniversary. You know, especially Fortune 500, um, and the celebration was actually in Rome. So I was able to go to Rome with my wife and go to the Vatican and the Pope actually did the ceremony where he blessed a bunch of Harley Davidson bikes. So St. Petersburg square was filled with, I can't even count how many people. I mean, you know, tens of thousands of people. And then you had in the middle of this core set of bikes and people rode their bikes into the square. You had the Pope bless them. We were up on stage with them, got to do a private tour of the Vatican. And to me, that was just an amazing experience. Um, if nothing else, I mean, just cool personally for me, but it's one of the few companies that I've seen in the world that can just pull that off. I mean, how do you have the Pope and bikes and all these people coming together? It, it just shows you the power of the brand and the, and the experience that people want. It was really cool. So how do you pull that off? <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the secret sauce. <laughs> secret sauce that a lot of people have figured out. And uh, I'm probably not one of them, but we've done an amazing job. Well, you've been around for 110 years. So you, we have been talking with Sean McCormick, who is the chief technology officer of Harley-Davidson. And my co-host today has been Diane Hinchcliffe. Diane, thank you so much. Yes, thanks again, Michael, for a great show. And our special thanks to Sean McCormick. Sean, thank you so much for taking your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you thank guys you. for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Sean. Everybody. You've been watching episode number 176 of CXO Talk. And it's that time again. Next week, we have three shows. So take a look at CXOTalk.com and check it out. And we'll see you soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.